All right, now it's going. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another podcast uh, sponsored by Optima Bio. Uh, today, we have Dr. Greg with us and also Dr. Amid. Um, we are going to continue to talk about adrenal fatigue. Uh, as you probably noticed, we've rolled out an adrenal fatigue program uh, at Optima Bio in partnership with Dr. Amid. And uh, I thought we'd get right down to it today to discuss uh, what adrenal fatigue is um, and how Optimal Bio treats adrenal fatigue. So first, Dr. Hamid, uh, just in very simplistic terms, tell us about adrenal fatigue. What is it? Thanks, Jim. Uh, it's great to be here with, with um, your team at Optimal Bio and everyone. Um, adrenal fatigue, in simple terms, is a collection of symptoms. Uh, it, it is things that are not readily assigned to any, any diseases, and they're often mistaken for other diseases. The hallmark, the, the simplest thing, um, if you ask me what was the, the one thing that would describe it, is that feeling of fatigue that just doesn't go away by sleep or by taking a vacation. Person feels like they have uh, lost the oomph, the, the zest, uh, the concentration, the focus, feeling down for a while, and they cannot identify a single event to do that. Sometimes um, that's essentially the, the gray feelings that last for, for a long time. Are there any, you know, you talked about being fatigued. I mean, is that the most common symptom or are there other, what I would call more common symptoms that one should be looking for? Yeah, the most common one is, is really the fatigue, the energy level. And it's, um, it, it's when people find themselves reliant on, on uh, picker uppers, things such as caffeine, such as colas, you know, the two, two fists of caffeine drinkers and and energy drinks and that sort of thing. So that's really the, the, the thing that the, the average person will complain about and will, will, um, uh, will come to seek help, hopefully. So at Optimal Bio, we obviously uh, have treat patients with uh, testosterone. And one of the benefits of getting testosterone treatment is uh, increasing your energy level, not having that you know, those fatigue hours, you know, during the afternoon or morning for some people. Um, so is this different than, you know, a typical testosterone treatment that increases energy levels? Is this something that you're seeing in addition to, uh, you know, people that have been treated with testosterone? And that's for both of you at this point. Well, I believe Optimum Biogen, we are an energy provider. And when you look at the body, I like to use an example of a car. I believe everybody's a Ferrari or Bugatti. And I believe the cornerstone for that, our energy source, number one, is testosterone. Sex hormones is literally the gasoline. That's what gets us up and moving. Now, to fine-tune the carburetor, to fine-tune the spark plugs, that's your thyroid and that's your adrenals. Those are the three. And as you age, growth hormone comes in there as well. So those are the four major energy sources for our body. So testosterone is not the panacea, but it's the cornerstone. It's the foundation. Then if you're not seeing improvements, that's why up the bio, we do check at, at the first initial visit after our first consult, we talk about all of the energy sources, the six major hormones from the hypopituitary uh, access that actually are energy source. And I walk them through each patient. So if we do find that testosterone has some improvement, but not totally, and we already have our thyroid check and maybe thyroid. Adrenal is very unique because you, adrenal has basically four stages. And we'll go through that a little bit later, but that affects your blood sugar, your insulin, uh, how your glucose is, is produced. But at that time and hyper, uh, 
a cortisol state and then a hypocortisol state. So Jim, I believe the idea is to look at all these energy sources to fine tune the individual. How do you diagnose adrenal fatigue? Um, and I guess more importantly, it seems like if one goes to the regular doctor, um, chances are they may be misdiagnosed. Is that true? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, um, so the patient typically does not walk in with, uh, with a diagnosis. It is up to the clinician to find out. And if the clinician does not know what to look for, or th this, this adrenal fatigue or the function of the, the, uh, the glands themselves is not high on that priority list, the patient can be assigned other things, you know, such as antidepressants, or you know, perhaps being left with comments such as uh, eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, play out in the sun more, talk to your partner, that those sorts of things that really do not correct the underlying fact, the underlying cause and factor. To, uh, fortunately to do this, there's a test and we'll discuss that in, in a bit. And uh, there is you know, very reliable methods of, of testing for this. So I guess if one goes to a regular doctor and they're told to eat fruits and vegetables and get better sleep and play out in the sun and they're still not feeling better, that's when it's time maybe to, you know, look at an optimal bio, for example, or uh, some other non-traditional doctor? Um, yes, absolutely. What is unique about optimal bio's approach is that um, it does not look at the body as the sum of its compartments. It looks at the body as, as a whole, holistic approach. And as Dr. Greg alluded um, a little bit earlier, yes, the testosterone can be optimized, progesterone, um, estradiol, other hormones, but each hormone has a range. And these are really, really designed in human body to work in concert in a state of balance and to, to uh, achieve the optimal level. So they work in concert with one another, absolutely. And sometimes the testing that, that is chosen to look at um, uh, adrenal fatigue can make all the difference. So whenever we get to testing, I'm happy to, to explain that now. Sure. It seems to me that more and more people are being diagnosed with adrenal fatigue syndrome. And has this always been a problem or is it just more common now due to our food sources and our environment and so on and so forth? Well, Jim, I don't know if the, if the, the phrase adrenal fatigue is more common because in mainstream medicine, it's not even recognized. It's like uh, a syndrome called leaky gut. The mainstream, mainstream uh, we'll call it uh, um, intestinal uh, permeability. Same thing, leaky gut. It's, they, we don't look in the body. I love the phrase, the word unconscious, like a symphony. Every part has to play at the right time so you have nice music. And we're so trained. Again, when I talk about this holistic medicine or mainstream medicine, I'm, I'm allopathic trained. I'm an OBGYN by training. I'm trained classically as an MD. It's just we let me miss out on looking at the whole. And after doing 32 years of practice, you start realizing there's something missing out here. So when you talk about adrenal fatigue, we start looking about using the medical terms, hypercortisolemia uh, or hypocortisolemia. They'll go, oh, I believe that's there, but they won't put the phrase adrenal fatigue on that because an organ can only produce so much till it quits. And the problem with the cortisol, it is it affects blood pressure, blood sugar, insulin function, and your immune system. Uh, cortisol is the number one uh, anti-inflammatory. When it's too high, you have the, the classical Cushing's. Too low, you have a thing called Addison's. So it's so complicated, Jim. And that's why 
I really want to look at the whole person and then look at each of their systems. That's why I like to look, look at the car. It's gasoline, it's carburetor, it's spark, it's the wiring, it's the brakes. And then we can fine tune the whole instrument, the whole individual to be its best, to be its best. So adrenal fatigue, I think it's been there, but there's no doubt in today's society of staring at computers, the stress of life, um, we're not having real deep sleep and rest. Our adrenal glands are pushed to the hilt where we're seeing much more fatigue. So we talked a little bit earlier about testosterone, and now I'm going to ask you about the thyroid. Where does that play in regarding, uh, in, rego in reference to uh, adrenal fatigue? I mean, I'll go over that first because I then want Dr. Me to get into it. He's brilliant on thyroid. Thyroid, I try to explain, is when you put your key in the car and start your engine, it's your idling RPMs. That's your thyroid. That keeps the car running. Now, there is uh, two major hormones, T4 and T3. T3 is the key that turns on the engine. T4 becomes more T3. It also becomes reverse T3. Reverse T3 is the brake. T3 is the gas. And I try to explain this to people is T3 initiates a thing in our cells called mitochondria. Mitochondria takes the oxygen we breathe into the cellular uh, re respiration and turns it into energy and carbon dioxide. To make it real simple, I tell people that's where cyanide works on the, on the mitochondria. So how does that interrelate, Jim? Is that it actually keeps that our, our RPM working. When your RPM or, or uh, homeostasis is off, it puts stress on the adrenal to make more cortisol. Okay, Hamid? Yes, absolutely. And, and as we make more cortisol because of that stress, and as Dr. Greg mentioned, this can be either true physiological stress, or it can be perceived stress, or it can be just something such as a pandemic that's going on. So for a while, our bodies, in order to cope with the stress, remember, we have those mechanisms to survive. You know, we have these, uh, these glands that put out cortisol. Cortisol in of itself is not good or bad, just like anything else that we have, but it's necessary for life. Too much of it is, is problematic and too little, of course, is, you know, spells trouble as well. So when the levels of cortisol stay elevated, uh, other things happen too. For example, the sensitivity of receptors of the cells to hormones such as testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, um, thyroid hormones, these will diminish. So what that means is after the, uh, after the level of cortisol decreases, because the hormones can only put out so much, there's so much work they can do, there's only so much starting materials in the body. So the level of cortisol decreases and the sensitivity of the receptors also decreases, which means that, that let's take a case such as, such as estrogen. For a woman who is going through menopause or has gone through menopause, when we have a, a case of deficiency of estrogen, one of the hallmarks is, is hot flashes, uh, sometimes joint pains, you know, all kinds of things that go with that. So the, the woman can, can complain of hot flashes, but there really is not an inadequate level of estrogen at that point. It is the sensitivity of the, of the cell of the receptor that's decreased. So the clinician can be misled and assign more estrogen and cause a secondary and a tertiary problem because now we have more estrogen and now the excess estrogen has even driven down the levels of progesterone even further. So the underlying cause still over there is present, but now we have two more problems. So this is why it's such an important thing to measure these things 
and to know exactly what we're looking at to understand which stage of adrenal fatigue this person is today as, as you know, this person is talking with us so, and take appropriate actions there. And one thing, Joe, I want to go over the structure. We have a, a chemist here and a, and a pharmacist, doctor of pharmacy here, but the structure, the actual backbone of cortisol, the backbone of testosterone, the backbone of vitamin D, it's called a gonane. And that gonane is actually formed from cholesterol. So when you have people that just stop automatically, doctors put them on statins. When you eliminate the formation of cholesterol, you're, for, you're eliminating the formation of around 12 to 15 key structured hormones that our body needs. So that's why I love what we talked about, I can talk before, is we got to look in concert at all of these things. When you, most medications either block a receptor or block an enzyme to produce a substance that is not natural. That's why it's important to understand the cascade or the biochemistry of everything we're doing. And that's why I think by replacing with bioidentical aspects of the cortisol, of the adrenals, and the thyroid, whatever we're doing, if we're actually doing the same structure at the same uh, relative uh, levels that are optimal, is when the patient can, can actually re, um, receive the best benefits. We're, we're, put, we're getting rid of what's called our allostatic load. We're taking those stressors off so that if you picture a teeter-totter, it's not going one way or the other. It's getting level. Because I believe our body is amazingly made and can, and can actually survive in harsh environments, such as our daily environment. But it's actually built to thrive, not just survive, if given the optimal aspect. Exactly. And Jim, one more thing to add. And while we're on that, the relationship between, uh, between the, the adrenal glands and the thyroid gland itself, our glands are in constant communications in the body. Think of our blood and, you know, as, as a highway that uh, takes these messenger molecules from one point to another. And every molecule, every messenger has a, has a specific predetermined message that is going to ensue. They can be sometimes they're excitatory, telling the other cell or the other gland what to do, or sometimes they're inhibitory, they inhibit the gland or the cell from doing a, you know, a, a function. So our, our thyroid gland is in constant communication with our adrenal glands as it is with you know, ovaries in case of women. So, um, so once the, the um, adrenal glands are exhausted, they're fatigued, it will diminish the function, the, the production of hormones by the thyroid gland. So that's where we see cases of hypothyroidism. Sometimes we even see something that's called a subclinical hypothyroidism. That's where most of your labs are pretty good, but you're just not feeling right. So this is one of those things that Dr. Greg looks at and searches for and has an answer for. And that's all, Dr. Wing, you brought that good point up of these ranges. You and I are on the same age. When you and I were in school training, a, 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 the, the TSH, thyroid stimulating hormones made by the pituitary, tells the thyroid to make, make the hormone. And the hormone has the feedback back to, to control that. When we were in school, anything over two was considered bad. Now they consider anything over 5.3 bad because there's so many people that are in the bad range, they can't label everybody bad. But that's why the optimal range for TSH is 0.5 to 1.5. And you also talked about the adrenal glands talking to the thyroid and vice versa. Under stressful situations, which adrenal fatigue is, your T4 converts more into the reverse T3 or the brake than it does the T3, which is the gas pedal, 
because the system is so out of whack, it wants to stop everything. So adrenal fatigue is actually a double whammy because reverse T3 increases. And we've known from studies from 40, 50 years ago, uh, the higher the reverse T3 is, the, heart, the higher cost of all mortality. So there obviously is a strong relationship between thyroid and AF. What do you fix first, the thyroid or the adrenal fatigue? Or shall I say, what do you treat first? Dr. Neat, I'm going to start with this. That's why I believe, Jim, it's important after you listen to the patient's story. because Nobody knows their body more than they do. Nobody does. So I'm not going to tell a woman or a man they're normal if they, feel, they don't feel good. We'll look at our ranges. We do have different optimal ranges that we used to have, but they know their body. So that's why I believe, Jim, it's very important. It's why we spend a half hour every time we talk to them talking about the pituitary and the hypothalamus and the releasing hormones. So I believe checking all this at the beginning, so you don't have, so you're not guessing. So you you know where they're, what you know where they're at, and then you can fine tune them in harmony. I think that's the best way to go is in harmony. Absolutely, and and Jim, I'd like to add to what Dr. Greg says. I see, uh, I see some of his clinical work, so I, I have a different, um, you know, angle on this and point of view on this. Absolutely. Um, um, it really depends on where the patient is on that curve. If the thyroid is, the thyroid gland is clearly deficient, well, then Dr. Greg prescribes thyroid hormone, the appropriate, you know, level and form of thyroid hormone. But sometimes, um, sometimes that is not the first step in therapy. Sometimes there's other things, and I've seen this in his practice with his patients that well, we could add some thyroid hormone here in this particular case, but let's try X, Y, and Z out first in terms of exercise, you know, uh, uh, sleep hygiene, cleaning up the food plan, and that sort of thing. So it really is all patient-specific. But if we need hormones, you know, you need hormones. And Jim, I don't want to get into functional medicine per se, but the, the, there's two barriers we have to our outside the world, right? It's your skin. But we also have a skin inside our GI tract which is the one cell thick barrier protects us from this, this world. So a lot of things go from the gut and the gut can weaken the adrenal gland. The thigh, Hashimoto's or Graves disease is actually a gut disease first um, because you have your endothelial lining of the gut being damaged and the immune response that your body does naturally to protect the gut then sometimes has a side effect that can attack um, the other glands such as the thyroid. I also have seen it for, uh, over the last 30 years there's an association with, uh, with antibody diseases that attack three main organs. When I see a person with thyroid disease, then I make sure that they don't have um, a GI, such as a, uh, such as a gut syndrome. And you also worry about uh, premature ovarian failure. Every time I see a premature ovarian failure, I always see a thyroid disease and a leaky gut. They go together because the, the source of the damage is in the gut. So healing the gut's important. That's again, where the testosterone, vitamin D, these things that, that the probiotics, prebiotics help protect the gut will then help protect the systems within this body, such as the adrenals, such as the thyroid, such as the, the gonads. Okay, so if one has a um, normal lab reading for thyroid, according to what you'd like to see, Dr. Greg at Optimal Bio, and they're still not feeling right, that's when you'd obviously jump into looking at potentially the adrenal fatigue syndrome and then 
Dr. Ami, can you walk us through now the diagnostics to determine uh, adrenal fatigue? Absolutely, I'll be happy to. Tyler, if we could please, can we jump to uh, slide number 15? Well, he's doing this real quick, Jim. I think we started off the bios. The first thing is we put together Dr. Mead is a questionnaire. That is really key. 20 questions to walk them through to see if they're a candidate for the test we're going to talk about now. Exactly. Thank you, Dr. Greg. So, um, Jim, um, 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 cortisol is a diurnal um, hormone. As we look at this nice graph, uh, we don't have elevated levels of cortisol at all times. Elevated cortisol gets made throughout the, uh, gets synthesized or made, you know, right before we wake up, it surges upon waking up with sunrise, and then it kind of goes down and, and declines and it flattens back out again by bedtime or sundown. That's what we expect to see. We don't normally see this in practice. So the test um, that we wanna do should have, have some characteristics. First, we can measure this in either blood or we can measure it in saliva. Um, and they're both good. However, saliva is superior and I'll explain why. If you wanna do blood testing for somebody on this, uh, you gotta have at least four points of testing on this, on this uh, curve in order to be able to establish a curve and read data. If we have one point, that's just like somebody going by and, and I snap in a, a photo. That doesn't tell me a whole lot. If we have two points, any two points will draw a, a straight line. Still not a lot of information. Three points the same, but four points is really the most reasonable balance, in my opinion, a number of data points that we can construct a curve. So this is the type of the curve that we would like to see. Yes, we can send somebody to do a to, to one of the lab um, offices in the area for the morning test. We can even send them for the lab data point at lunchtime, maybe even early evening, but forget the bedtime. No lab is open at 11, 12 o'clock at night. So if we do blood test, the number one problem is that we're not gonna have the four points that we're interested in. Number two, people have done studies in the past and most of us don't associate the, uh, the needle approaching and puncturing our vein with a pleasurable experience. So as, that, as we perceive that as, an, uh, as a stressor, a surge of cortisol is gonna be released to help us cope with that. So right there and there, we have an elevated artificial level of cortisol that will be measured. The machine that does analysis does not know what's going on. It just sees a number, it spits out a number, sees a concentration, gives us a number. So that number is also, it, it can contribute to the bias in the test. But um, what we would like to do is to do the four point saliva testing. Patient essentially takes a, a little kit home. They spit in a vial four times during the day. They send it off to the lab. Results come back to the clinician and boom, we, we, we surmise two important pieces of information. Number one, we will look at the, the qualitatively. What does this curve look like? Does it even follow the same path? And number two, we look at it quantitatively. Where are the um, data points for the patient compared to the expected results that we expect to see? So this is the, in a nutshell, what um, the kind of testing that we like to see and we like to do. So it's that simple. You just get a kit, you bring it home, and then you're gonna spit into this kit four times a day and you send it off and that's it? 
That's it. No puncture, no nothing. It's very easily done. Yes, it's, it's the okay. most accurate method. And then the results come back, and then what happens next? Well, maybe Dr. Greg would like to explain that, what he does. Yes. Uh, the curve is beautiful because the curve, we're going to look at cortisol and DHEA, which is also made by, is also made by uh, the adrenal glands. Uh, and you're going to have this curve. There's four stages of cortisol insufficiency. The first stage is when it's too much. So it's not insufficient. It's hypercholesterolemia. So the curve goes high. There's a treatment plan for that. Then there's one where it starts dropping. Treatment plan for, uh, for that. I call that stage 2A. 2B is when you get a, another surge again in the afternoon, which you should not have. You got to manage that down with a cortisol manager. And then the final three is when your failure is done. So based upon those stages, Jim, uh, Dr. Me and I put together a program. So stage one, everybody should get a nice multivitamin. We use phyto, phyto multivitamin for that. Everybody should get vitamin D. These all work. There's a reason why they work for the, for the adrenal glands. Melatonin, slow release. And then we have botanicals. They're called adaptogens. Ashwagandha, ginseng, rhodiola, magnolia, licorice. These have been proven to give the adrenals what they need to rest and reproduce when it's needed to be done. That's the first stage. If you start seeing the DHEA go down, then you add DHEA. That is a, another gonane, another structure like testosterone. In fact, it actually goes down that pathway. Um, and that's a, um, uh, a supplement. And then if you get the stage a 2AB, where it's actually, you get a bump in the afternoon, we have some more botanicals that actually help decrease that surge of cortisol in the afternoon. The classical afternoon sleep gym, if people get tired in the afternoon, cortisol surges. When that surges, what happens is your insulin goes up. 20 minutes later, your sugar flat just bottoms. That's what's happened in the afternoon. People are tired in the afternoon. It's not because they're tired physically. It's because physiologically, their glucose molecules drop and your brain needs glucose. And then stage four, three is the final sufficiency where it's not making any of those. So you continue what you're doing. Then I change the adaptogen and I add a thing called uh, adrenal that actually has the same botanicals in there, but then you add bovine uh, glandular. So it has some uh, cortisol in it, as well as some norepinephrine, epinephrine that are from, um, that are actually made from the adrenal medulla. And that helps the pain, unless they're anxiety, then you try to avoid that. If they're anxiety, you add a thing called L-theanine. Um, and then you add Cortef, which is cortisol. It's actually cortisone. And you, and you give it twice a day, in more, 8 a.m. and noon. But you only do that, Jim, for three months because you don't want to shut down your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. You want that to heal. Then you wean off the cortef, continue the botanicals. By that time, your body's now started making its own. And you retest it with another adrenal test, with another saliva test three months later. Um, so, again, what we want to do is to give the adrenals what it needs to do its function at the same time heal. Does that make sense, Dr. Amid? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, it's, it's right on. Absolutely. And in and, and every stage, the same patient will feel differently. I have had in my years of looking at this, um, uh, people who, who used who say they used to be very productive. I've had you know, high caliber engineers and attorneys. They just don't have the same output because they're somewhere in one of these stages. And this is beyond willpower. This is just not something that, oh, you know, you know, you, you truck through it and you're going to do better. 
it doesn't do that. So um, yeah, let's. Let, I'd like to circle back a bit about um, some of the signs and, and symptoms that you asked me earlier on, Jim. And um, on this on the slide, uh, we read uh, feeling defeated, um, not enjoying your place in life, feeling you know helpless. One of the things that I know Dr. Greg does during his initial consultation with the patient is to pay attention to the patient patient's report as a as a well-being. I know that firsthand, so <laughs> I can certainly attest to that. So um, these are some of the things um, that we can also look for in terms of the patient giving us a diagnosis of what they, what they need. I think this would be pretty hard though because a lot of these kind of like pain, a lot of them are subjective. Um, you know, the human feels defeated, but are, in reality, are they really defeated? Um, is it more of a mental health issue, for example, than a physical issue? So how do you assess that? Well, yeah, that, that's a really good point. Excellent question. So it's, it's twofold. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's an assessment that's a subjective part. And then there's the objective part, which is the measurement of, of, the, uh, of, of, of cortisol levels in the saliva. That's not to say that if, the, if we have a check mark subjectively and a check mark objectively, there's, there's nothing else going on. You're absolutely right. We can never discount you know, mental illnesses, you know, other things that go on and make us do things that, or feel things. But this is one of those stones that we wanna uh, turn up and look under for answers, see how we can help the patient. Absolutely. Yeah, Jim, I, there's no doubt the brain is amazing, but we look at the organic cause first. That's crucial. And we're very, at Optum Bob, we're very pro on, on, on sending people for counseling as well. But again, if you, you talk about your idea of being defeated, you have objective data, you have the scores four to three, you lose. I understand that. But I go back to the car analogy again. You know, you, I, 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 my car won't start. It won't run. I don't know what's going on. Have you checked the gas? Ah, I forgot to check the gas. Our job is to check those things first. Because even if there's organic cause, to give an example, Great paper from the NIH in 2013 looked at, they found one of the best treatments or the best treatment for the best subjective results were for anxiety and depression. The number one treatment for that was testosterone in both men and women, regardless of age. They didn't understand the mechanism of action per se, but they know it affects the mood part of the brain called the limbic system, primarily the hippocampus. And that being, they've shown increased blood flow with testosterone increase uh, convolutions with, with uh, testosterone. They've shown that. They've done studies in the gut with patients with schizophrenia having their vagal nerve cut. We don't do that now. This is in the 50s. And an animal study showing that they have improvements on their, on their moods with the right bacteria because the bacteria in the gut make the neurotransmitters for the brain to use. That's why the whole symphony thing that Dr. Amit started you know, half hour ago is how this works, Jim. So you don't blow off the, the idea that may be factual. You don't blow off the idea that may be more counseling involved. We look at the total package. And the cool part is we do have the objective data, the numbers, but the greatest part of all is they tell us, I'm feeling better. I'm not feeling better. They'll walk. It says, again, remember, the journey we're doing is not our journey. It's their journey. And they've asked us to walk side by side with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So one does a saliva test. Labs come back. Looks like they need to be treated. Um, from an expectation standpoint, um, how soon can the patient start feeling better? 
Well, it depends on how empty the tank is, Jim. So <laughs> let's assume it's half full right now. <laughs> months, if it's, Jim, not, it's not tomorrow. It, it's weeks to months. So I think it's very important, as Dr. Greg said, uh, to, to set the expectations of the patient properly. If we don't have, it's like, you know, taking your, your kids down to Florida. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, so adrenal fatigue typically does not sit in in a short period of time. There, there has been something or some things in the process. It took us months and a lot of times years to get here. Remember, this gets confused with things such as, oh, you have chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, you have fibromyalgia. Oh, you're just depressed beyond you know it. You know, you, you, you recognize it. So it gets confused on that a lot. So it takes months. Sometimes it takes years, but not in a lot of cases. And if it's caught early, then the, in conjunction with balancing of other hormones, then uh, it should not be a, a, you know, a yearly you know, process things. Um, if the patient does everything they're asked to do, the recovery time, it, it takes time, but it's, it's, uh, it's reasonable and it's doable, but it's individualized depending on where they are, how they are, how committed they are. You know, Jim, like anything else, patients get out of this exactly what they put in it. It's like farming, so. Well, Jim, real quick too, also, if we do have this based up on the stage, we know it affects other things. The big one I'm focused on is insulin and blood sugars. So we know under, under very high cholesterol, um, cortisol, hypercholesterolemia, we know we have high, high fasting blood sugar, high fasting insulin, and therefore when you have extra sugar in your body, these extra molecules bind to any protein that can. Red blood cells being the most common called hemoglobin A1C. By the way, that molecule glucose also binds to neurons. That's why they call Alzheimer's type three diabetes. So it's very important because it actually changes the three-dimensional structure of the neuron. So we, what we do here at Optimal we, we, we when we get a person that's within our adrenal and wellness program, we get the, the fasting blood sugar, fasting as hemoglobin M1C. Three months after our treatment, now we have objective data to show them because red blood cells live 90 days. That's why it's why we picked 90 days, Jim, to look at the hemoglobin A1C again. So we can see a fasting insulin being, we'll make a number up. 104 when they start, now it's 93. That's improvement. We're gonna start seeing our, our insulin being under 10. We'll start seeing our hemoglobin M1C under 5.5. So that's that we know that chemistry-wise, what we're doing is improving them. Uh, and then we have this objective questionnaire again. So it, it, I'm with the understanding there is a vagueness here, but there is objective data to look at. That's why it's so important for the patient to understand there are six major um, energy source productions our body makes, and they get all six of those fine-tuned. That's why to make it simple, Jim. I talked about five things we need to do, sleep, eat, workout, decrease stress, and replace what you've lost, because that encompasses everything we've talked about today. So Dr. Hamida, are there different phases of lab results to, to determine the condition of a patient? Absolutely, absolutely, Jim. That's an excellent question. Thank you. I feel like let's. Uh, I feel like we, we need to address two more conditions quickly on either side of the the spectrum of activity of adrenal gland, and then I dive right into it. And that's just for the for the um, sake of the patient not to get confused with things. So we have our our normal adrenal gland function. We have a case when the adrenal gland, for reasons that we don't get into gets uh, produces too much cortisol and then we have another case when it produces too little cortisol 
This is not adrenal fatigue that we're discussing here. What we're discussing is everybody else in between the either the black or the white. When the, the patient's uh, uh, body puts out too much uh, adrenal, excuse me, cortisol, we, we know that as Cushing syndrome, as you see on the screen, and it has certain presentations to save time. We'll just go through the slide and show a, a picture of, um, of what uh, somebody would look like on the next slide. And uh, yeah, this is a typical picture, hollower bones, the, the general shape of the body, general shape of the face. And then the next one has some- That's the titty gym. And not to, make, not to make laughter of that, that's almost today's classical dad body. I mean, that's, so you say how common this is now, we're calling, you know, belly fat and out of shape, normal part of aging when it is not. Exactly. And, you know, to, to go with this picture, we see here, um, you know, something that, that is referred to, we see the belly clearly and also the, the man boobs, if you will, which is also a, it can be a sign of testosterone deficiency. And these are, you know, some of the conditions that can be corrected, but anyways, that is um, a, a cartoon on the next slide. We'll have some pictures um, of, these are Google pictures, no <laughs> credit to anyone. So um, yeah, yeah, the typical uh, uh, body shape. The next one over is gonna be the, um, the Addison's disease. That's when we don't make too much cortisol and excuse me, we don't make ad adequate enough amounts of cortisol. And this is the, the medical pitfall right here. So I have seen this time after time after time. Patient says, hey, I am, you know, I'm feeling the list of the symptoms that we discussed. So I defer him back to the physician. We discuss adrenal fatigue. The physician is not uh, aware of, of adrenal fatigue because it didn't used to have an ICD-10 code, a disease, international classification of diseases code. They didn't recognize as that. They would send them to a lab to do an ACTA challenge test. And the challenge test is, I'm gonna give you this, inject this, this essentially inducer, and I want you to sit here and see if you mount any cortisol production in response to this test, which of course they would. Again, that's one data point. And then the physician would conclude that, no, you don't have adrenal fatigue, you're good, you must be depressed or whatever else they would be. So, so the typical testing, and it, it's a pitfall that happens is this that we see on a regular basis. So if a patient truly has Addison's disease or a patient truly has Cushing's disease, that, that patient for me would be a referral patient, definitely. That's, but everybody we're talking about is in between these two, and that's by far the majority of people I have ever uh, had the pleasure of dealing with. So in terms okay. of... So to be clear, you're not treating Cushing's or Addison, just adrenal fatigue. Yes, sir. And that's everybody between these two. And there's a lot of people between these two. You know, those are specific cases. There we're talking about tumors. We're talking about genetic factors, shunts, you know, things in the body that are not within the scope of what we're talking about here. So, but they do exist. Yeah. Well, on that note, perfect segue, because we have a surprise guest who's volunteered to discuss her symptoms and how she's being treated with uh, adrenal fatigue at this point in time. So with no further ado, Tyler Brandon, please tell us your story. Yeah, so I just wanted to jump in and give a personal experience because adrenal fatigue, as we've talked about now for 40 minutes, it, it can be so vague. So maybe putting a story to it. So I'll try to do a short version of it, but it really, I think the point is, 
is one, you know your body more than a doctor knows, and it all really goes together. So for the past two years, I've been treated for my gut health. And um, so as that's been getting better, I've been feeling better, but I really still had um, very low energy, which is very unlike me. For example, like getting out of bed is a struggle, which I'm like, okay, it's the winter, you know, things like that, like what's really going on. And um, also I'm getting treated for my thyroid. And so when you asked Dr. Hamid earlier, which one do you do first? He, um, one time he told me, and I will always stick to it, is adrenal is a process. Thyroid, you'll feel the difference tomorrow if you change your dose and it's too high or too low. So I really feel like you have to do both at the same time because adrenal does take a while and it is so like what they said, you have to put into it. So um, I did a test with my doctor in New York, came back that I'm in phase three adrenal fatigue, which made me feel a little better. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not just lazy or I'm not just thinking that I'm tired, et cetera. And so I've been, I take a supplement twice a day, one between 10 and 11, one between three and four, as well as being treated with my thyroid, we upped my dose two times in the past two weeks. So really doing both at the same time, um, but also like diet, like you can't eat gluten, very little dairy. So you really do need to take in control and not just be like, okay, cool, I'm taking two supplements. This will help me, you know, get me through. So for you, the hardest part was getting out of bed in the morning, you hit that snooze button four or five times before you got out? Um, I didn't hit the snooze button because I had to get out, but it was more, yes, it was because I work out when I, you know, when I get up before I go to work. Um, so it was more, it was, yeah, it was harder to get up, which is weird for me. And then also when I'm done at work. So I feel like I put all my energy into the day. And then once I get home, I'm kind of done. So let's say, so you mentioned phase three and you felt pretty good about that. Um, and Dr. Amid, before you had referenced, there are phases. So what's the worst phase? Is it phase four, like cancer, for example, or is it more like phase one? Um, the, the worst one, now there are different different um, uh, classifications for, for adrenal fatigue. And um, so the, the worst one that I have seen is a phase three. That's when a person is, is highly motivated, but they really don't have anything in the gas tank. I mean, they're running on fumes and that can only go on for so long. And that in of itself runs into, turns into other, lays a foundation for other problems and issues. And let's, let's not, we didn't mention this. There's so much talk about on this, but in these phases, especially phase three, that's after the body's exhausted the levels of, of cortisol. Now we're talking about uh, uh, um, immune system uh, suppression um, to, to, to a certain degree. Our body does not have the ability to find infections, things that, that it normally did, uh, and those happen during those stages. I have, uh, and it's interesting because that goes hand in hand with thyroid insufficiency. I have had plenty of cases over the past 15 years where people complain about either recurrent sinus infections or in case of women, you know, recurrent vaginal infections. And that's when antibiotic after antibiotic, it, it just doesn't seem to cut it. But once you correct this and you address the, the thyroid and bring some iodine on board, magically those problems just go away. It's just amazing, you know, so. 
So Greg, you talked earlier about gut and Tara, you mentioned too about your gut uh, is, that's obviously a, a more acute type of um, symptom that one presents with and you go get treated that. But to Hamid's point, uh, is the adrenal fatigue causing the gut as opposed to treating the gut first then treating adrenal, adrenal fatigue second? I think the other way around, Jim, or they're synergistically here. Uh, the gut is not acute. We think of it as acute when you have uh, a nisception, a vulvalis, a, a blockage, an apodectomy. That kind of stuff we think is acute. But chronic pelvic pain, chronic uh, bad constipation, diarrhea, bowel movements, that's a chronic problem that builds up over time. Um, and it's very important. There are such, there's methane and hydrogen tests. There's mannitol tests. There's lactulose tests to actually diagnose if you have a malabsorption or if you have a permeability. But there's really, there's the, the thing we, we in integrative medicine talk about the five R's with gut health. You want to remove the toxins, the, the foods, the infections. Number, number, the second R is replace. You want to replace it with, uh, people think, uh, take all these Nexians and stuff. The number one problem in American GI gut health is too low of, of, uh, of acid, not too high. Acid getting reflux is high in the wrong place, but it's low where it's supposed to be. Digestive enzymes. These are really important to have in our body. Number three is to re-inoculate with pre and probiotics. Number four is to repair with fiber, glutamine, zinc, selenium, quercetin, uh, colostrum. And then five is rebalance, decrease stress. And that's where adrenals kick in. That's the rebalance part of it, Jim. So it's like, I mean, I know my daughter's gut health has not been overnight. It's been years. And to find that fine. But again, even treating the gut is not overnight. That's the problem. Dr. Mead brought a good point. We're talking years of damage in this stressful environment. Does It takes weeks or months to start turning the, turn the ship around. That's where I find, Jim, that testosterone being the cornerstone is the quickest recovery at the cellular level and the quickest recovery subjectively because it works rather quickly on giving the body its gasoline to start. And I think that also could actually then re-expose where you're weak in the adrenal glands or the thyroid or the gut. That's why I, I stress again, whatever you read, the cornerstone of integrative health is testosterone therapy. So once treated, can you be cured? Uh, what's cured, Jim? Cured is having allostatic stress off you so you're homostatic. I think it's a lifelong process. I don't see, I don't see, because... There are three pathophysiological mechanisms that attack our body. I don't care if it's rheumatoid arthritis. I don't care if it's atherosclerosis. I don't care if it's Alzheimer's. There's only three ways our body gets attacked. Number one is vascular injury. The endothelial lining, the one cell membrane of the gut, the heart, the brain, the lining of your liver, doesn't matter. That gets damaged. That allows for an immune response which is good if it's localized, and then an inflammatory response. Again, good. Acute inflammation, acute immune response is life-saving. Acute high cortisol is life-saving. Chronic release of all those is America today, and that's our problem. So I don't want to be cured. It means you you're, you're have a better way to, to be thriving in the environment than, than just surviving.
I guess my definition of cured is you're thriving again, and then you can come off the meds or the okay, supplements. Yeah. Again, what, yes. In the answer, the cortisol. The answer is yes. You want to get off the cortisol. If you want to get off the uh, those, those the cortisone, yes. In thyroid, we're seeing people who are giving Dr. Brownstein's podcast we did a few months ago, talking about giving iodine and 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 selenium and zinc and magnesium along with medication, eliminating gluten and case and, and dairy. We've seen people come off or lower their medications. The answer is yes. Um, I wouldn't look. I don't consider a testosterone. Uh, a medication. It's a hormone our body needs. Um, but the thyroid and the adrenal gland can recoup enough to start producing what it needs to be at an optimal level. The problem with gonads is once they stop or they start off because the gonad production of estrogen, testosterone, progesterone is significantly lower than it was 150 years ago. So where they start, they can't get any higher than that. And we're starting to lower a lower value. Dr. Travison wrote a paper on that looking at 50 years of testosterone level. But to your answer, yes, I believe we could cure or get our thyroid or adrenals back to where they could produce an optimal level. Yes. Um, let me chime in on that. So if our, our uh, definition of cure is the absence of that condition or the disease, in those terms, yes. So here we're talking about offering a lifestyle treatment, actually a lifestyle a method of doing uh, of of correcting a lifestyle lifestyle driven problem, so um, it can make it absent of that. But if that original lifestyle continues, then the stressor and the stressors are going to be there. So chances are that the patient can dive right back into it. For example, somebody who's in a in a terrible relationship, somebody who absolutely you know despises their job and they can't get away. So those things we can't we can't change but we can certainly help offer up a combination of, of lifestyle changes, um, uh, dietary modifications, and medication when it's needed in addition to supplements to, to offer a, a realistic chance of bouncing. Yeah, Jim, I want to be clear too. Stress is not bad. Stress builds character. Stress, you know, lifting weights builds muscle, puts stress on the bone and make bone. It depends how that stress is and how long that is and what it's for. Again, you want the, the adrenals to rock when it's an acute stress, but then you want it to go back and, re, and, and then to, you know, to, uh, to rest again, to prepare for the next attack. So again, working out, being stressful, those things are good to make the body, the, the, the system be proper when it comes time to it. Having no stress is not good either. You know, we learned that from our astronauts, right? They're up in, they have no gravity because they started getting osteopenia up in the up in space for a short periods of time. So there is stress that's good. Our body's built to adapt to stress. It's chronic stress with no relief is the problem. Right, and I think you hit the nail on the head earlier too. If your body is going through this chronic stress uh, due to deficiencies, it's going to lead to other significant problems in the future from a health perspective. Right, and Jim also... As you know, I don't like the word supplements. I like the word nutraceuticals because the vitamin Ds, the selenium, the zincs, the, uh, the iodines, they are getting eroded from our top soil. And our food, our food supply does not have the same nutrients it used to have. So we need to have these things. I'll give you an example. Every mammal needs vitamin C. 
every mammal makes vitamin C, but us humans. So it's not an option to take vitamin C. It's, it's, it, we heard about scurvy. That's what scurvy is. As we know, the, the British naval was called limeys because they sucked on limes because of the vitamin C. It's, it's very important, very, very important. There's no, uh, no vitamin B1, no thymine. So these are not options. You don't have an option of vitamin D. You don't have an option to have, we'll get more detailed, glutathione, melatonin. These are not options. So our body will only go so far with not having those. Rickets is low vitamin D. We know now from Dr. Mees, we had this talk a few months ago on a podcast, vitamin D is not just for bones. We know vitamin D affects 10% of our genome. A vitamin D above 40 has shown decreased infection. Above 50 has decreased heart attack. Above 80 has decreased recurrence of cancer. We know from the COVID studies in Italy that the number one risk for COVID is 19-fold increase is obesity. Number two is low vitamin D under 20 is a 17-fold increase. So these aren't options, Jim. There's repercussions for not having these. I mean, is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't covered today? I'd just like to, uh, to show um, uh, our good folks out there what the test would look like and the results. So we can cover it you know, fairly quickly. So this is a, of course, there's more than one company that does saliva testing. This is a company that, that I used to use in the past, but nevertheless, the results should look alike. So we're looking at a saliva testing for a person for data points. The deep green is what we expect. Again, it's a diurnal hormone, cortisol. It's highest in the morning and it goes down and it should follow that path, <coughs> excuse me, if everything goes well. If we uh, travel on down to the next slide, we'll see, um, excuse me. This is another one and this person, uh, as one of the very few, probably two or three uh, normal uh, tests that I, I have seen over a number of years, most people are not like this. The following um, slide will have a person who was in, in um, adrenal fatigue, the, the dotted line and the black line, the, the solid line shows them improving. So visually we can see that we have been able to change the shape of the curve over treatment and the values of course appear you know, up there. Um, let's look at two slides down, a, a phase, phase one, thank you, perfect. Um, so as we see that red dot on the, on the right-hand side of the curve, so typically this is where people have trouble falling asleep at night. And the reason is that elevated level of cortisol, cortisol is not really friendly for, for going to bed, going to sleep because you're up running, you know, and, and uh, aware of, of your surroundings. So again, as Dr. Uh, Greg alluded earlier on, there are nutraceuticals that we can plant depending on what the person's curve is like. Um, Tyler shared with us, she took them at a specific time in the morning and a specific time in the afternoon. It's not by accident. Uh, that is designed that we need to lift or elevate the levels and then decrease the levels at, a, at another time. And only by testing, only by a four-point saliva testing is, is when we can surmise this information. We can't just look at somebody and say, ah, this is the problem. We really have to have objective data. So um, if we go to um, slide number 54. I mean, real quick. Speaking of sleep, how can you fix a person who has no, pr tr no problem falling asleep, but 
chronically wakes up around two to three every single morning for about a half an hour before they go back to sleep, but then has no problem getting up in the morning. Is that part of adrenal fatigue or is that something that is totally different? Well, that, that, would, that person would have to be evaluated, Jim. There's adrenal fatigue is one of the possible reasons, the surge in cortisol. There's also other things we need to look at. There's sleep apnea that, that needs to be evaluated, maybe ruled out. And maybe, you know, if that's the case, it needs to be addressed differently. So that would be a very good starting point in terms of gathering more information and having a conversation and seeing what's, what's going on. Yeah. So. Okay. You want to go to slide 54, you said? Yes, right there, right where we are. So this is a phase three. This is what Dr. Greg was mentioning before. The, you know, we call these flatliners. This is a person who has no energy, no joy in their lives. They wake up in the morning. It's very difficult to wake up. It's difficult mustering up all the energy and zest that they have just to carry on their functions, you know, their jobs, their duties throughout the day. And this is a person who's always tired, constantly tired. This is not the person you want to go on vacation with because they want to enjoy it. You know, they can't, you know, it's not there. So this is the one that the person that Dr. Greg mentioned, we would do, uh, for example, drug therapy, in addition to other things such as, you know, a court of here and there and whatever he decides, he's the physician that what needs to go where in what increment and, you know, lift the person up and bring the person up. So this thing is fixable as well. But but we need to know um, we need to know more about the patient and run some testing to do. So. Okay, to tie something together, Jim, when this adrenal gland is not working properly, our sympathetic and parasympathetic system they get out of whack, and what that means is high blood pressure is a complication of this. Cardiac arrhythmia is a complication of this. Again, diabetes, hyper, all this thing is a sequelae of our or our endocrine glands not working properly. And we're very good in America treating with band-aids and symptoms, not the root cause. And that's why I think it's the root cause is crucially important. I don't care what system we talk about. We want to fix it. If I'm in surgery and I got blood everywhere, the root cause is find that artery immediately, put your finger on it, then find the right clamp and then go with the procedure. But right now we always seem to put band-aids on these peripheral capillaries. We don't go right for the main, the main bleeder. I think that's what's so great about holistic, about uh, integrative functional medicine a tie together allopathic. I'm not anti-American medicine. I love it. It's it's using it at the right time, at the right place, but it's so important that the phrase normal has got to be thrown out because everybody can be an optimal weight that's different from other, other people. And that's why to me, Jim, the most important part is our subjective responses. That's the most, because they're coming. I write down every word they say. I had a lady today, um, she talked about, I, I just got to get, I'm, I'm, I'm totally gone. I'm, I, I don't know where to start. I'm so tired. All these phrases are crucial. So then we, when we see them in intervals of time, we can go back to these words and how you're feeling. Wow, life changer, whatever it is. It's not, it, it's not like, again, a panacea, but the goals look for the root cause. That's the key. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. And um, where can one get the kit? Call Optimal Bio. All right. What I do, Jim, is we do the consult. We do the questionnaire. After the questionnaire, uh, if they if they have a criteria for that, then we walk them. Again, I've already prepped them with how this all works. And then they do the saliva test, take it home. Um, I get results back. They come back in. 
and we review the, I, I have a big whiteboard in our office and I draw the graph for them and show them where they're at. Then I point to the stages and then we talk about expectations and where they're going to do it. And then we follow through with that. But it's um, the key part is you need the data. And I love when he talks about two points or a straight line. We need a curve. Four is crucial. Yes. And as always, if treatment is needed, um, we have Dr. Amid with his compound pharmaceutical to handle all of your needs, correct? Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Jim, I wanted to, um, to point something out. This is the, the um, chart that Dr. Greg alluded to earlier on. This is a heavily referenced chart about vitamin D, vitamin E concentration and levels in serum or in blood. And the, the, the percentage of somebody uh, the, their chances of not getting these diseases. We look at all cancers combined, anything from multiple sclerosis to type one diabetes to, and you see rickets is way down there. We don't typically, we don't deal with people with rickets here in Cary, North Carolina. I understand it exists somewhere, but it's not here. So this is in part why Dr. Greg has been so, has been um, uh, such a big promoter of vitamin D and higher vitamin D levels. Another thing that Dr. Greg does, which I, I highly respect is, uh, is he doesn't push vitamin D2 on patients and shoot them up once every week for four weeks or six weeks and then leave them alone because then that elevated level is gonna drop and the patient will be right back where they started. So he's a big proponent of, of sustained levels of vitamin D level vitamin D3, right supplements, right nutraceutical, right people, and getting the right results. I just wanted to point this out on the, on the chart. It's a fascinating chart, and it just amazes me when I run across people, uh, and, you know, whether it's you're talking about COVID or you're talking about just general health, and you're recommending that they take D3. And, you know, most, some of them will say, sure, that sounds great. And they'll try it. And others just kind of laugh at you and think that they're getting everything they can in a multiple vitamin at this point in time. Uh, but if they saw this chart, they'd probably change your tune. Yeah, exactly. And, tell, and also, Jim, D3 must be absorbed with K2. K2 makes absorption, the mechanism, and the elimination proper. You can't overdose it um, uh, when, you have K, when you have K2 with it. Uh, but we hear about these stuff, but Jim, the, the thing about it also is your type of vitamin. Where's your source, organic source, natural source. What's the rotation? Uh, an example, uh, chemicals in space are either rotated to the left or to the right. When you have vitamin E rotated to the right, dextratory, it's healthy. You rotate to the left, it's unhealthy. I mean, I'm a, you know, we have a chemist here and a bio, but people don't understand these things and that in, in three, in three dimensional space matters. And that's why when they say, you know, vitamins don't work and they take this multivitamin that's all synthetic. Well, of course, because the vitamin that's supposed to be in the body is a different structure. It ain't going to make a difference. That's why we got to replace what our body needs, not what is close, especially when what we need is available. Sounds great. Well, guys, I appreciate your time today. Um, usually we do five takeaways, but since we're a little bit over on our time today, we're going to do three takeaways. Dr. Brandon first. My takeaway number one is your journey is your journey. Number one, know your story. Number two, you are the captain of your health. Nobody knows more about you than you do. And number three, find a person that will work with you. Not ever be, not, not, you know, be the boss. Work with you. It's very important. I mean, 
Yes, I, 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 it's really hard to come after those three pillars. <laughs> so <laughs> I second those. It's, it's very important. Absolutely. I think that, that we should realize as individuals that we're in charge of our own, our own healthcare system, healthcare and not rely upon the system or necessarily somebody else to do it for us, asking the right questions, asking enough questions and um, yeah. And yeah, getting a second opinion. Hey, <laughs> so. Well, my takeaway is that if you are experiencing a lot of these symptoms, this is a very simple, non-evasive way to get tested to see if you need to be treated. Um, so that's my takeaway. And I would encourage those that are having these symptoms to contact Optimal Bio. And uh, again, thank you, Dr. Greg. Thank you, Dr. Amit, for joining us today. And we look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Amit. Thank you. Thank you.